HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Fields, the podcast. I'm Wythe Marshall. And I'm Melissa Metric. On Fields, we're bringing you the stories of people who are working in the world of urban agriculture. For money, for fun, for art, for justice, to feed the hungry, to green the city, or to uncover its history. In each episode of Fields, we'll delve into one kind of food that's grown in cities, one technology used to grow, or one project that teaches us something about our relationship to farming in urban environments. Moreover, we'll investigate all the whys behind getting up in the morning and working as a farmer in the city today. You don't need to be a farmer to enjoy this podcast, or even a foodie. We're going to tell fascinating stories and break down the realities and possible futures of urban farming to their elements. Hey, welcome to Fields, the unfinished story of urban agriculture, the podcast, uh, with Melissa Metric. Hi, everyone. And I'm Wythe Marshall, uh, and our engineer is Liam Warner, and we're joined by an amazing guest today, uh, Zach Harrison of Fresh Harvest. Hey, Zach. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Thank you so much for making time. Um, Well, why don't we dive in? Um, Can you tell us a little about yourself um, and your background, especially when it comes to to food and ag? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, So before Fresh Harvest, Fresh Harvest started 10 years ago, 2012. Before Fresh Harvest, I had not a clue what I was doing, had no connection to um, anything food related. I'd actually played music and traveled around and tried to do that whole thing for a while. So um, funny enough, that came to a close pretty obviously. And, um, the dream, the dream ended, you know? And so then, um, I was looking to go find myself in new ways. And so I took a motorcycle trip across the country with a buddy of mine. Um, and one of our stops of many along the way was, um, at a farm on the coast of California called Slide Ranch. I have a um, had a cousin who was working there, and it, we just kind of worked out. We stopped by, and like as we're pulling down the gravel drive, just kind of felt felt something. But then the the meal meals that we ate over the next um, couple days were really the the picture that I wanted to bring back home. That eventually became Fresh Harvest. So um, anyway, yeah, that's how we got started. Again, I had 
not a clue what I was doing. But here we are, 10 years later, still surviving. So what is Fresh Harvest? Can you walk us through? So what did you create, right? You're inspired. You wanted to be yeah. doing something with food. What What did you end up um, trying out? You know, how, how did that come together? Yeah, yeah. So Fresh Harvest, um, the most simple way to put it is it's it's basically like an online version of the farmer's market you would go to down the road. Um, and so our hope at the beginning was to help people, you know, automate their healthy eating and healthy habits, but do that through kind of a modernized CSA or a version of it. And so we took this idea of community supported agriculture and said, you know, how do we give it some a little bit of technology behind it? And how do we make sure that uh, we're providing some of the flexibility that uh, the typical average customer needs in order to, you know, stay committed to buying their produce specifically at the beginning. Now it's more than that, but from local farms. And so uh, that's what we started with. That's what we still do. It's just a little more complex at this point, like the things that we offer, the things that we sell, but we deliver your groceries and we source them all from farmers that you could go shake hands with at the market. That's so cool. So I, I love modern CSA. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask about another term I saw on your site, I think, um, or press release. It said, uh, you, you know, Fresh Harvest is an ethical food hub. And yeah. I thought that was interesting because I, I feel like food hub gets used a lot, has uh, maybe some different meanings. And, I, and I'd love to hear your take on like how you see what you're doing is different or evolving or, or things that have been successful. Um, maybe other people could 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 look to as, as a model. Um, and I think, you know, modern CSA is like one of those terms. I'm like, oh, OK, I kind of get that. That makes sense. Um, you know, bring in the farmer's market online. That makes sense. But what are some other pieces? What makes your, your work sort of like a food hub? What makes it ethical? Um, you know, and maybe, I don't know, is that stuff that's evolved over time? Like, is it just one idea you had like after that one dinner or has this been like, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing like a long story, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely been a long story. One thing I say a lot and we say a lot is, Hey, we, we keep just kind of stumbling into the next thing. Not that we don't have a vision for what we want to do. I don't want it to sound that way, but we do like we're, we try to be really um, agile and ever evolving um, so that we can meet the needs of the market, specifically where we are in Atlanta, that is ever evolving. Um, obviously, even what people think of as food delivery is different than 10 years ago when we started. Like we had to, we used to have to explain that. Now, obviously, you don't. Um, and the pandemic only like jolted that forward and made that more of a uh, mass understanding, um, at least here. And so, um, yeah, but your question about a food hub and specifically an ethical food hub, um, I just think what we are hoping to add to that, um, description is that, you know, we are more resilient when we're together and more connected. Um, when you think of hub, obviously you think of all the different pieces connecting in the middle. Um, and, uh, we are so codependent with our growers and we just say that up front. And I think customers, um, get that and appreciate that. For example, like we, there would be nothing unique about fresh harvest if we were just buying the same big box, even if, it's still organic, organic produce from all over the country, like the stuff you can get at the big box grocery stores down the road. Um, there would be really nothing unique about us other than hopefully good customer service or something. Um, and so what we, 
try to do is say, hey, we are so dependent on what our growers grow for our baskets. Um, and so our baskets, our customer experience is better if they are connecting with more growers growing a lot of different varieties of produce that people then want to consume. So we get feedback from our customers informing, hey, here's what people um, are wanting, um, more of this kind of lettuce versus that, those kind of things. Um, we do a lot of crop planning with growers that we could go into more later. But then also from growers, like they fully inform what our product is every single week. Um, if you sign up for Fresh Harvest, you get a basket type and price based on the size and needs of the folks in your household. But the contents of it change every week depending on what's coming in most fresh from the farms. And so obviously that product is better if um, there are more farms plugged into the hub. And the ethical food hub, that ethical description is basically just, hey, we are, we are committed to Georgia um, and Georgia only. Like we're not trying to take this and come up to New York or wherever it may be. Um, we're trying to say, hey, we're from here, we're for here. And so um, we are trying to buy as much as possible and fill our baskets with as much as possible um, that is locally and organically grown in Georgia. Um, and so um, I, I think ethical can get into a lot of other things too, like sustainable packaging and um, the fact that we own our own trucks and do our own deliveries and aren't outsourcing that and things like that. Um, but but those are some of the descriptions. Basically, if we do this together and we plug more people in um, and more growers in, like we are able to be more resilient. And I think local food um, is personally like the most resilient food system. Um, and so that's what we try to support. That's awesome. And and can is it partially that like also the local growers they're getting a fair price and they or even just constant business like that's a dimension of, of helping support those growers um, as well, which I feel like is, is sort of generally important in food hubs in an urban context. Um, right. You know, I, I feel like maybe that's something we could see more of. Maybe there's other models out there and we can, you know, this is like an evolving discussion. How do you bring the folks together to sell food locally? And, and um, yeah, maybe introduce that idea of like getting to know who the farmer is and what's in season and all that, and that kind of education component. Um, yeah. Can you say a little, like, how do you, how do you work with specifically urban farmers um, and, or how far out? Like, can you tell us a little about your farms? Is it a mix of like urban, peri-urban, you know, rural setting, all kinds of different crops? Um, yeah. I mean, Atlanta is kind of interesting because it, it's grown so much. Like when I was there as a kid, it was a lot smaller. And now it's just, it's like LA, it's this sprawling area, but surrounded mm -hmm. by, you know, great farmland and woods. Um, so I could imagine like a lot of different kinds of farms basically servicing you, but. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is the case. Um, and one thing we talk about with growers um, when we're first partnering up is like, hey, we can be, we Fresh Harvest can meet kind of different tiers of your needs based on what your needs specific to your farm are. Like, for example, we have a, a decent amount of farms who say, hey, Zach and Fresh Harvest, because I, I help build the baskets each week. And um, so I'm getting texts from them about, hey, my availability list is up and ready. Here's what we've got coming next week versus a month from now. Get ready for the carrots. They'll be here in a few more weeks, that kind of stuff. So it's ongoing, literally text throughout the week kind of conversation, which is really cool. Um, but what I was saying about tiers is there are some growers who say, hey, we will let you know when we have extra because for our business model, specifically small or uh, urban farms, um, it's it's better for us monetarily 
um, if we can, number one, fill our CSA boxes and people are close by and picking those up, um, they get more, you know, money direct back to the farm and higher price from that than they may from us. Obviously, we buy things at wholesale prices, but high value wholesale is how we would say it. Like we're not paying grocery store or even, I don't want to mention names, but top tier grocery store prices. Like we're, um, we're, we're paying much higher prices than that per unit for everything that we're buying from our farms. Um, but, you know, they may not need us on a weekly basis. So they may say, hey, when we have a bumper crop of X or when a sale falls through at the farmer's market because it's a rainy weekend or, you know, this maybe restaurant order is no longer going to happen for said reason, they'll let us know and we can buy it up. And that's a real role that we try to play. Um, And then there's kind of the next level up, which is, hey, we're talking every week, but we might not be your core business. Um, for some of those other things, you know, you're selling to restaurants or straight to consumers at markets and all that. Um, or there are a lot of growers now at this point who say, hey, we, we want to plan our business for the next year around you. And you may not, Fresh Harvest may not be 100% of what they grow, but we're literally crop planning week to week, crop to crop, seed to seed, what we are going to commit to buy, and we're putting a name on it. So that's um, obviously where we hope to get with every grower as we fresh harvest have a um, customer base that can support that. Um, but so then it's, it's literally texts every week, buying up the full list kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I was, I was just wondering, Zach, um, for some reason this keeps on, I keep on thinking about this um, and how much maybe you mentioned it briefly that the pandemic affected your business because I know especially a lot of urban growers here in New York City, um, they lost all their restaurant business, right? Like oh, all yes. the restaurants closed down. So um, did that, um, do you see now that urban farmers or even farmers want to diversify a little bit more now since the pandemic and kind of that that scare and so maybe mm-hmm. they're a little bit more open to um, fresh harvest. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, we have uh, several farms, and it's not like we're ever trying to tell people sell to us, not them, or anything. But we have several farms now that say, "Hey, we aren't going to go to maybe three or four markets a week anymore. We may just go to one and then deliver the rest to you guys." And actually, we're not going to do the restaurant deliveries anymore for some of those reasons that you said. Um, and again, I think it's really important that farmers markets are just exploding. I, that's what we try to support. Um, we, you know, all the growers that we work with are at those. That's how we met in the first place, you know, is going to them. Um, but the restaurant specific example, um, there's one story I can think of where, um, one of the farms we work with on the, not every week, but, you know, once or twice a month kind of cadence pre pandemic, um, it's just a really well-known, awesome farm in and around Atlanta that's been selling to restaurants forever. If you've eaten at a great restaurant in Atlanta, you've eaten their stuff. And I think it's a, I heard about them by eating at a restaurant, you know, um, years ago. And um, so it's Woodland Gardens. And so they, um, we've been working with them for a long time, um, but have always been kind of like a sort of on the extras plan for them. They holler at us when they need us kind of thing. Um, but what was so cool is how that worked out at the very beginning of the pandemic. Celia, the farm manager there, 
said, hey, I was planning on sending all of this, and it's a long texted list, you know, all of this to farms this week. Um, that's no longer happening at all. Let me know if you can help at all. And that week and ongoing after that, we bought all of that stuff because our customers and people in Atlanta, at the same time, obviously, we were having the inverse effect. A lot of people are saying, I'm staying home, but I still care about where my food's coming from and I want to connect with growers. And so we saw a huge spike in just interested customers. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, oh my gosh, how do we get more local stuff? Because we went from this many customers to, uh, you know, three, four times as many in a matter of weeks. Um, so again, those, those aren't always fun in the moment things to go through, um, whether you're the grower or you're us on the logistics side, but it was such a beautiful picture to me of the resiliency of the food connective, that ethical food hub movement, which is if people care about where their food's coming from, um, they are going to still support that grower that really needs them right now. Um, if we're doing our job, right. Um, and so that was so cool to be able to say, yeah, we'll take all of it and it has a home and it's not going to waste and you're getting the income off of it, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Are there any other stories of specific um, farms or, or restaurants or, you know, partners that you've mm -hmm. worked with? Any Anything that stood out, especially like in the urban context, you know, visiting farms? I mean, do you, do you go out and sort of um, see their operations at all or, or mm -hmm. work with them in that sense? Yeah, yeah. That's a big part of my job specifically. Um, and uh, we're kind of in the winter season, usually December, January, February. We have a lot of um, like driving around, catch up. Um, crop planning meetings, as we call them. But yes, I mean, some other cool stories specifically about um, Urban Farm is when we first started, uh, we, when Fresh Harvest first started, this was probably a couple years in, actually, we were like, man, we're all about food and which is all about connectivity. Um, but like, we're, we don't see our customers face to face. We email them, we call them, you know, uh, we may see them every once in a while if we're dropping a basket off at their door but like we don't know our customers and that's so much of what we try to be is like this we try to share tables with real people and um so we said okay let's have a dinner um where can we have that dinner and invite customers um to come out to a farm and so the first place we ever had a farm dinner as we call them um was at uh, an urban farm in town truly living well um, and so it was so cool to be able to have a farm that we obviously buy from to then go sit at a table at with our customers and be like, this is where the stuff's coming from. Um, and like, this is, it's close by too. Cause you know, we work with farms who are still in the grand scheme of things close, but you don't really want to drive 60 miles to go to dinner all the time. Um, but you know, one key metric for us just to give a little perspective is like 80% of our cost of goods, everything we buy, whether it's produce or other artisan items, because we sell meat and eggs and all that kind of stuff too. Um, 80% of that is from within 70 miles. Um, so, so that's a, a key thing that we always keep an eye on internally as a staff. And so um, just to give you a little picture, because we don't sell a hundred percent only Georgia stuff. We try to fill in some other basic needs with things that aren't grown around here, you know, but, um, that's, if we're keeping our eye on the ball, that's what we're doing. 
Yeah, and I feel like 70 miles is pretty close. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of New York City, yeah. like, what would be 70 miles north? I don't even know if we would yeah. hit Hudson. Why? I don't, what it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we would. But yeah, I think the point is well taken that it's, I mean, when you talk about food sheds, um, and we're used to getting food from all over the world, really, and especially in mm-hmm. the, the context of staples and, and even staple specialty products, horticultural products, um, mm-hmm. like leafy greens and vine crops. I mean, you're used to getting them from California and Arizona and Mexico and Canada and and um, and elsewhere. So the fact that um, if you can keep it to 70 miles, I, th- I think you're doing, you know, phenomenally well. Um, looking at the map, it looks like you'd get up the Hudson a good bit. But yeah, I mean, it's like that. Which, which a lot of places, if you think about the, being in a fortunate area geographically in that sense, Atlanta and New York both could probably, you could get most of your food from a, if you drew a circle mm-hmm. 70 miles around these cities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there's some things that don't grow in that region, I mean, coffee or whatever, but, you yeah. know, it, it makes sense to fill those in, as you say. But it, but to yeah. shift the emphasis and to tell those stories and support yeah. those farmers, I mean, obviously there's, there's other food hubs doing it, but it's cool to, to sort of learn about like, oh, okay, here's like... Um, somebody working with these these urban farms, these restaurants we've heard about, and doing it in, in that sort of digital context. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, even even the pandemic story, I think that's such an important point, Melissa, is that it's changing a lot of models of how people are getting their food out of mm-hmm. a lot of reasons, fear and laziness also. But it's creating yeah. these opportunities where, yeah, you, you're able to sort of do what you want to do and tell those stories um, and people are, are receptive. So in, in a sense, that's like an, a silver lining a little bit. Um, yeah. And Well, and yeah. I think it's so crucial for like the whole food waste problem too. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm not here to bash a grocery store. I go to grocery stores too, to get certain things. But, um, just if you think about the waste in that model versus our model, which is like, there's zero food waste in what we do because of the timeline of when we build our orders versus customers choose and customize their order to be what they want versus then when we place the order, like we only buy what we know we've already sold, like down to the piece. Um, and so if we've sold 658 bunches of Hacker Eye turnips, we know that. And so we don't buy a thousand just in case, you know, um, which is usually like, we just have, obviously we're smaller in the first place, but also there's no distribution center other than it coming here and getting in a basket that then goes to somebody's house, you know, a few miles down the road and we don't deliver all over the place. Like our delivery area is basically the same size as when we started. Um, obviously with a lot more customers, thankfully, but, um, like we haven't expanded and reached farther ourselves, uh, either. And I think that's, uh, obviously important for just, um, being able to have a sustainable business model, but, um, it also hopefully speaks to the, again, that core, like we, we are, for this place. Um, and so we're trying to keep as much food here as possible. Um, well, can, can you say a little about the crop planning? Cause this seems to relate yeah. because I could imagine a lot of farmers growing a thousand, um, yes. you know, turnips or radishes and, and then, you know, just trying to sell them as opposed to working with you to develop a plan where like, okay, I'm growing exactly 650. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and how, you know, how does that, that seems like a lot of sort of chicken egg problems where you have to work with mm-hmm. people and, you know, how do you like, do you sell first? And then you, you know, you, you have to plan it pretty right. far in advance. So, like, it seems a little complicated and I'm sure maybe Melissa, you have a much more articulate way of talking about this issue, but you know, how do you plan what you're going to grow for in, in that commercial sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the, the most 
simple way to put it is we don't know exactly how many customers we're going to have on August 15th of 2023, right? You know, like when you're looking for, but based on, we have so much data over the past year. Like we know the percentage at which we grow each year. We know down to the date, like when people skip more because when they start going on vacation more often, because when, you know, school holidays are or all that kind of stuff. So we just have all that data. And then we look at that with growers and say, hey, last year, how did it go item by item? And then we speak into, like, say they grow romaine lettuce, a really easy to sell, popular thing. Um, we know exactly if we put it in a basket, we know how many we're going to sell. If we don't even pull it, put it in a basket and just sell it what we call a la carte, like you, you know, you're not getting it in your contained order, but you can go add it on. Um, we know almost exactly what we're going to sell each week. Now, if a pandemic happens or something else crazy happens, we don't know that and we need a lot more than we thought. Or if we're doing a bad job and not packing out great quality stuff and, um, you know, are slinging things around in our trucks and doing a bad job, we're going to lose customers too. But if we're, if we're doing the best we can do, we do know how much we're going to sell, um, in a, like pretty detailed way of each item. Like for example, um, the demand for hacker eye turnips is different than the demand for rainbow carrots is different than the demand for blueberries, you know, um, nothing against hacker eye turnips. I love them. But if you put them in every customer's order, more people are going to swap those out than they are the blueberries. More people are going to swap more blueberries in, you know, and, and we have that data. So we sit down with growers and, you know, within their context, we aren't saying, hey, here's, you need to grow 10 times as many of something when we, I mean, we know how much space they have and what kind of uh, goals they want to meet. Um, but yeah, every year we're talking about specific stuff we bought last year and also new varieties that we could introduce customers to. Cause that's, that's a big thing too, is we hope to be a palate um, changer for customers as well. And man, the amount of times growers are like, I want to get that in there. I think people are going to love it. And then it works. It's really fun to see. Oh, that's cool. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. One of the things that I was thinking about was also, um, have you seen, um, like in doing these numbers and working with these farmers in this past, in the past year or two, um, disruptions 
via like storms or droughts because of climate change? Like you, have you noticed the, your numbers kind of changing or have farmers kind of talked to you about this at all? Like, has it affected crops and things like that around from where you are? Because like here in New York city, we had a drought pretty much all summer long. And, and, you know, most people have irrigation and stuff like that, but I'm just wondering if you've seen that affect, like any effects from that yet? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, I think you can look at that in like a, a macro level and see evidences of that on a crop planning specific way. Every year is obviously so different. And since we've only been around for 10 years, like I can, I can speak to like specific instances of, oh man, so much rain and that flooded this area and this farmer lost like this entire field, that kind of stuff, like can, there's been absolutely instances of that or earlier or later freezes. Um, like last year was a terrible year for blueberries because of the, um, timing of the freeze. And so, so I had, um, there's a farm that we're always buying blueberries and blackberries from. And, uh, we initially started out the crop planning of the year saying, Hey, at the end of the season, whatever you have left, we're going to, um, we're going to freeze it. We're going to bag it. We're going to hold it in our freezer and sell it for the coming months. And not only did that product not exist at all because they didn't have enough, but also, you know, the weeks were much shorter. Um, the availability amount was much shorter. So I think you can see evidences of that. Um, I'm definitely not a, a pro in, at that in like the, the macro sense. But yeah, when you look at um, seasonal lengths of seasons um i think that's the biggest thing that comes up yeah i mean it's interesting because because with your company with fresh harvest if something does happen at least there's other farms that could you know like that maybe didn't get flooded or didn't have or have these other crops that they could substitute so it almost seems like a little bit more of an insurance in a way for sure. No, that that's absolutely true. Like the, the whole f- flooding of the river example, flooding that field um, was a farmer we've worked with for a while. This was several years ago, but he sent me a picture of, Hey, here's your carrots for next week. And he was paddling in a canoe. Um, and obviously there, I couldn't see any carrots in the picture. And um, so what ended up happening is we figured out other places to get carrots that week. Um, and then crazy enough like he was planning on doing bunches with tops and stuff like that um but a few weeks later once things receded he was able to harvest some of those and obviously the tops were toast but he was able to then still sell us some carrots that had just been underwater for a little while um so yes the flexibility uh is still there also i think we just have really understanding committed customers too like there's times in that carrot example where maybe we couldn't fulfill every order and instead we're subbing something else that's as similar as possible, <laughs> you know. Do you think food hubs help with that, with the resilience angle that, that as opposed to if each farm had to navigate on their own with, with changing, you know, with weather and, and, uh, and the pandemic, I guess too, but, but yeah, specifically extreme weather events and, and sort of climate change. Um, does it help to have someone who's able to kind of work across farms and with different consumers and, and still try to, you know, yeah, salvage what, what can happen and get local food out yeah. there. Oh yeah. No, I absolutely think it does. Um, just because there's a lot of crossover people growing the same variety of stuff. Um, 
and then there's also like just the willingness then from like the farmers that are committed to us know that they like they want to keep our customers happy too because it represents sales for them. Obviously, a fresh harvest has one third of our customers say, we're mad, we're out of here. That's one third as many sales for them too. So they're very committed on helping figure it out, which is the coolest part. Like it's not a, it's not a competitive environment as you would maybe imagine. Like it's, it's a pretty collaborative environment. And so like there've been times when that has led to other farm partnerships, you know, like, Hey, I can think of, um, like I, the guy who does a ton of our tomatoes now, um, like that relationship came out of a couple, oh, shoot, how do we fill in, oh, call Thomas kind of situations, um, which is cool. And now we work with him every year and um, is one of our biggest partners. That's awesome. Um, speaking of other collaborations and that coordinating central kind of role and being able to see this whole um, food shed and, and think about the food system in, in the Atlanta region, um, mm-hmm. which has grown a lot and is just growing more and more rapidly, it seems like. Um, you know, have you interacted much with the Atlanta Office of Urban Agriculture? Is that relevant to your business um, and or any of the I, I know, like we talked, you know, East Atlanta has their own office. And I don't know if other mm-hmm. like counties do or if the state um, I know there's Georgia grown. Now there's Atlanta grown. I don't know if these are things that like factor into your world, but you know, yeah. we're just curious. It's something we were talking a lot about this season is policy and like, what would mm-hmm. be helpful? What would you like to see to promote urban agriculture, um, support growers? You know, what, uh, if, if you had any conversations and, and or any shout outs you want to make, you know, I'm just very curious kind of how policy plays into, um, yeah. ur- urban ag as a commercial, you know, in, uh, sector. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I, um, we actually have a call with um, some of the folks over at the Aglana is, is sort of their effort. Um, and we have a call with them next week about kind of ongoing partnership stuff. So cool timing there. Um, but yeah, we have worked with them um, off and on over the years. Um, we've done things to the extent of, you know, sponsoring their big um, fundraiser of the year and providing you know, a lot of the food for that from our farms, um, doing things like that. I do think there's absolutely more we could do and could connect more, um, with them on that from a policy standpoint. Like I, as far as like, what would I hope to see? Um, you know, I think there's really, I'm definitely not like, again, a professional in that area on, Hey, what policy and the effectiveness of those policies. But, um, One thing I would love to see is within um, some of those policy setting groups, like some some metrics similar to what I was talking about, about, hey, 80 percent of what we put in our baskets, our cost of goods comes from, you know, within 70 miles. So I would love to see some more of that stuff, Um, those opportunities taken. Like I think when the city has different events and stuff like that, that could, is a real cool opportunity to highlight the local food right around it, especially when there are events that you are going to eat at, you know? Um, so I think certain things like that would just be cool to see just more activity there. Um, but then, you know, one, one area that's probably the most needed to me is some sort of, um, ongoing like extra effort put into conserving or setting apart this land for agricultural use uh 
in these really dense environments. Um, because what we see a lot is farmers have to move. If they don't own the land, they either have to go somewhere else or change pretty quickly how they're going to operate. And um, like, a, there's a couple of specific examples of that where it's like, man, there is huge gaps in production um, and then for them income um, because of those situations. You know, when when the landowner has to or doesn't have to but decides to sell, like the farm, even if it could afford it, isn't. that's not going to be the most high-value um, buyer that you can find. I mean, usually the most high-value thing is to develop it and go straight up and um, – you know, you're not growing anything on that piece of property anymore. So to see more uh, backing for that, like I think um, some awesome stuff is going on with the uh, Working Farms Fund, um, which is kind of an arm of the Conservation Fund. Um, we've worked with them a little bit. Um, and we actually have our own space, growing space here in Clarkston, which again, it's not Atlanta. Atlanta was the east side um, and has that same fairly similar urban ag feel, but, uh, we, we feel that too, because we don't own the property that we're on. And you, when you're in that situation, and again, fresh harvest is not dependent on that for our livelihood. Like these farmers are, we, our, our business is separate from that, but, but our farm supports, you know, some of our baskets for sure. Um, and it's a great way to connect with customers. So not knowing how long that's going to be there and be around like that really changes how you invest, you know, like the, the amount of infrastructure you put in the decision to buy a more expensive, you know, attachment or piece of equipment to make washing faster. And therefore you can, you know, cut labor down. Like those, those bigger purchases are a lot of times, especially hard to do when you don't know if you're going to be there in a year or two. Um, and so I think just more uh, help and money put into securing space permanently for growing food. I think if you take a really long view of um, the humans of the future, that would that would be important. Well, we like to take that long view, but that, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of land trust, right? Like, like land yeah. trust for urban ag um, that allow for, as you say, this, these capital improvements Maybe maybe it's even you know cooperative or it's it's a hub where other other people are coming and using some of that um, if needed like if it's processing or something co-packing um, and yeah if the state or city could support that that seems really really wise to keep people growing locally eating locally as opposed to yeah more and more people crammed into an area but the food's further away and uh, oh further and further away all that mm-hmm. knowledge is you know companies are broken up or knowledge is lost um, community knowledge is lost and the, the land is degraded you know so it's just it seems like yeah if you have a good thing you know let like, cherish it so that, that makes a lot of sense um, and one example of that, just to, to give you a picture, like one of the most well-known urban farms in Atlanta had to move and they literally decided to take their soil with them. <laughs> um, and because so much of their time had been spent in caring for that soil over the years. And, but that, I mean, that production gap was absolutely there. And then that community, the folks that live right around there, um, weren't going to be buying there from there anymore. They moved to the other side of town, you know? Right, you can't take the customers, unfortunately, with you. Exactly. The way you, but taking the soil is also pretty impressive, and that speaks no, to yeah, no. like that stewardship of of the soil, and, and the fact the soil is, in a way, it's an it's a it's almost like buying a piece of equipment, right? It's something that that oh, yeah. is worth money, and it's you put time into, and 
So um, that's yeah, that's that's super interesting. Um, we definitely hear stories here yeah, of people having to move um, horror stories, etc. Um, mm-hmm. What are some inspiring trends? Um, it could be about, you know, you, your work and food hubs or if there's anything else you want to shout out, anything inspiring, especially in, ter- in the context of urban um, agriculture and urban food systems that, that you've noticed either in Atlanta or if you've gone somewhere else. I mean, um, yeah, what, what would you like to see? Like, is part of the idea that, you know, other people could do some of the things you're doing, but in other contexts, maybe there'd be geographically specific, you know, challenges and opportunities, um, but that mm-hmm. there could be more fresh harvests out there. Is that, is that one takeaway that, that am I right in saying that? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, again, depending on the literal place that you are in and the, um, that climate and the growing seasons there and everything like that, the, the challenges are going to be different, but could fresh harvest be done by other people ready to say, Hey, I want to go make a difference and do this. Um, absolutely. It could. And I think, I mean, there's, there's comp- companies that are examples of doing that well that aren't fresh harvest. Um, and we look to them in a lot of ways, like, um, some overseas, some here. Um, so I think the, the future is really just so bright, um, with more people caring about this. And so that, that I think is the biggest, uh, again, um, trend or, um, encouraging angle of this is that more consumers care and if more consumers care, things change, right? The, if, as long as there's money at the end of the plan, um, and people consuming and buying, um, there will be people, hopefully not just, um, you know, people in it for the money, but people who care about, uh, the system who are, are jumping in. And so, you know, that's, that's really encouraging to see. I think here in Atlanta, the most encouraging part is that we hear of our customers telling their neighbors all the time. Um, and so, which is the most important thing and for sure like makes it so that we can continue to operate and invest in farms and build our uh, team here uh, to help facilitate that is just more people saying hey I care about where my groceries are coming from and like I have a grocery bill right and the 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 value of it is not the same everywhere I spend it Um, so really trying to think of what's the most valuable way for me to spend this money like we got to eat you know um and so but i think other trends are um just the the land conservation stuff seeing more farms starting out uh with that in mind um like i can think of a couple that we work with urban farms um as well that have said hey i i know that that's an issue um and so i'm going to uh, get funding and get support, uh, before I start and not just sign up for a 12 month lease and hope it goes well, you know, kind of thing. Um, so just seeing more and more backing for that and awareness of that is really cool. Um, and then I think just the, the fresh harvest angle is hopefully, yeah, the, um, the things that we are doing are putting just more and more, uh, evidence into the bucket for the fact that uh, people do care about where the food's coming from. Um, and, you know, that that's not, I mean, I'm very proud of Atlanta in that sense and my neighbors, but 
um, I think that is happening a lot of other places. Um, I was wondering, have you thought about expanding your business in the sense of, I, I know how complicated this would be, but um, when you're dropping off, also picking up food scraps for composting? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, my neighbor literally down the street from my house runs um, a company called Compost Now, and um, they're in several states and are are awesome at what they do. When we, we've talked about partnerships over the years, one of the issues with that exact model is that um, like to have food to, that's going to be consumed on the same truck as food that is, you know, considered a waste or whatever is like, there's legal issues with that. Um, and so, uh, but I think the, the mod, that would be great if somehow you could section that off in one truck and all that kind of stuff. But we do refer our customers to them and they refer their customers to us. The amount of times, and you know, I still make a delivery every now and then for sure. And the amount of times you walk up to a door and you see a compost now black bin right next to our bins um, is so cool. I wish we could make it so that for the eco-efficiency that happened on the exact same truck. But um, at the very least, like the the spreading of the word and the the value too of that the the waste even though it's not waste um that some of that stuff gets input back into our farms like they make they turn it into compost literally our garden the fresh harvest garden um gets that same compost and that's what we use at our garden and there's a lot of other farms that we work with that do that yeah it seems like it's just like a bin thing <laughs> like like you yeah. just got to get oh, the yeah, right bin that won't leak that you could mm-hmm. just stick in your freezer it's all frozen so it doesn't matter yeah and then yeah, yeah. well that that'd be great we could we could dream I, I i feel like one day that will happen yeah no that's a legit problem solving exercise for some people it's like take a picture of a fresh harvest bin and you know from our instagram be like hmm if this stuff is coming in this kind of bin and i mean you can get get a picture of a compost bin from anywhere um how do you how do you make that work yeah it's like the 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 chicken the fox and the cabbage or whatever and they have to cross the river but yeah i it's funny you 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 mentioned that because actually um i heard someone talking about this in the history of agriculture that that was very common so that people would um you know market gardeners and would come into sort of markets in an urban context um and and you know from probably before late medieval times, but definitely from late medieval to early modern to early industrial times. And then at night, they would take back night soil. They take back human waste because it's valuable compost and animal waste um, to the farm. But of course, you know, for just the reason you cited, we don't do that anymore for one, because if you do it in the same apparatus, you're increasing the likelihood of um, zootic, you know, outbreaks, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of bacteria and stuff that's not great and virus. So um, it makes sense not to do it that way, but it's like, wow, that's so efficient from a, a design point of view it makes so much sense. And you'd think with all of the modern know-how that, that collectively humans have, right. As you said, it, it is kind of a bin problem. It's like, okay, make a better <laughs> bin that minimizes yeah. the, the transfer of, yeah. Um, bacteria and uh, viruses. Yeah. But, yeah. No. And I think, I mean, somebody out there can figure that out. I'm like, like the, the product industrial design of that would be fascinating. Um, one example that we do do is we reuse, we deliver in reusable totes, um, and so like the, the packaging waste in 
all of food, but especially food delivery is so high. Like everything's in a bag, you know, and usually those bags are the worst plastic you can think, right? Um, and then you just dump them. But so that's one thing we've, when you think about ethical food hub, that's a big part of it for us too, is the sustainable packaging model that we try to really lean into. So for example, we have these, um, home compostable bags that we put our salad mixes and things like that in. Um, and we have a great source for that that has just recently put a plant here in North America. Like we were having to, you know, figure out where can we find this. So um, the trends, that's another trend. There's like more people caring about that, of course. And then we've got the same compostable netting that we use for uh, peppers or weighing out your potatoes and putting in, you know, because everything we do is on an assembly line when we actually pack your order, but your order is fully customized. Like every order is a hundred percent different. So our assembly line is fairly complex. You know, it's got lights you push and numbers and stuff. And so, um, the, the pre-making of things only leads to more packaging. Um, so we try to do as little of that as possible. Um, but when we have to do that, um, we use compostable, not just biodegradable, but compostable, um, material and then we take those back and we have a partnership with compost now where they um come pick that up from us um along with like i said our garden if we ever have food scraps like a something bruised comes down the line or whatever that's not going to work for a customer obviously that either gets composted at our garden or with compost now um so uh, again just filling in the loop you know um, I think is really important. And then like even our ice packs and things like that are all um, reused. Food safe material that's then cleaned, sanitized, and um, reused. That's great. I really like how you're talking, you're thinking through all of these different aspects. It's not mm-hmm. one thing or the other. It's it's sort of, yeah, let's, I mean, each, you know, there's there's innovation to, to be found or whatever um, uh-huh. in, in a lot of these areas. So um, yeah, that, that is inspiring. Um I think we're coming up on time. So I have, I have yeah. some real like quick questions. Um, Melissa, sure. do you have any more sort of longer, deeper, like we want to hear Zach's in-depth thought questions? <laughs> no. Are, are we, are we ready for lightning round? <laughs> bam, bam. I can do lightning. Okay. Round. You want to do lightning? Okay. Hit me. It's personal. There's nothing's out of bounds. Nothing's out of, okay. Uh, well, what, so this is less lightning round, but just, you know, what are you growing right now at the, the space that you have? Like what, what are y'all growing? Yeah. In Clarkson. So, Right now, we have um, different stir-fry mixes coming in. So we've got komatsuna and things like that. Um, This isn't very lightning, but we do um, a market here in Clarkston. Clarkston's a refugee resettlement city. Um, We try to grow food specifically for um, those, like, different ethnical preferences and stuff like that. So a lot of the food that we grow is for that. Um, But we've got, like, specifically next week – got stir fry mixes coming um we do some of the uh different uh herbs and stuff like that so we've got a lot of cilantro dill coming um we do some of the um this time of year some of the carrots and things like that ourselves um what else is coming so we've got um some of the other uh we haven't done potatoes in a minute. We've harvested all those, but like over the summer, we're doing your sun cherry tomatoes. Um, we've got a lot of different uh, long beans and stuff like that. Um, 
that are cool. Just trying to expose people to different varieties of the same thing that they've grown up eating. Yeah, I'm so glad you said long beans. One of my absolute favorite. As is um, hurricane turnips are also favorites, but long bean is uh, we we constantly hear, and I think it's so much better than green beans. And it's like people don't know it's just slept on. It's a banger. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I agree. What is your favorite plant? If you had to pick one, favorite plant or fungus? Favorite plant. I mean, this is this is boring, but I do mean it. Like the scallion is just so high up there for me. I just use it on everything. It seems to last forever. They're beautiful aromatically when you open a bin, but they're also long and take up. They're just like it's such a different thing when you get great spring onions or onions with tops and things like that, that, um, like the, there's one farm we work with that does these red torpedo onions every year. And I mean, it's an onion, but it's not an onion, you know? So that's probably, they're so, they're so useful. They're like the Scotty Pippen of vegetables. They make everything better. Yeah. That is a perfect description. Big Scotty Pippen. Melissa, what were you going to ask? I have I have like two more lightning rounds, and then we could kind of. No, I was just going to ask if um, if the farmers out there grow there's like purple bunching onions or scallions, but they're purple or they're like kind of pinkish red. Have mm. you come across that? Okay. Um, at like the as in the bulb itself is purple. Yeah, so we've had some of those. We've like. A, in the past, we've called them different things, but you know, you have the spring onion that's bigger on the bottom, um, and then you have like the cipollini and stuff like that. But um, the red ones—I uh, don't know the specific varietal name that we've gotten, but we have gotten those before. Uh, now I want to eat all the onions. I want to have an onion tasting, which yeah. could be an yeah. event that we do for the podcast. All right, people. Oh, Melissa's shaking her head. She's Delicious. shaking. Her head. You don't think people would pay for that to come like drink and eat onions? You can do so yeah. many things with onions. That's or just, so just listen to and people. Enjoy. Listen to people eat onions. <laughs> All different yeah. types of onions. <laughs> and in Georgia, we have the Vidalia onion, oh, too. Oh, of so course. We, we're living large down here. Oh, excellent. Uh, all right. All right. Quick lightning round questions. Um, tortillas, wheat, flour, or other? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I actually had a mix one time and we we sold a tortilla um i think the vendor just called it the local tortilla just the you know that's that's always a good start um but it was actually a a mix of corn and flour um that sounds but, good you know i'm not above just a i mean a tortilla it's just a blanket it just wraps you up you just feel I, so whatever kind is fine with me i guess blanket means soft so I guess I like a flour tortilla more. I've never slept with like a crunchy blanket. <laughs> crunchy blanket sounds like an Atlanta rapper yeah. uh, who I should check out. Crunchy yeah. blanket. Crunchy um, blanket. Great. And last, last, and so you said nothing's off limits. So this one, and again, if you're offended or whatever, we, we can cut it. But um, I was reading my, my, my friend has a blog about, um, you know, basically death and art about death. But it was mm. interesting. She did a thing on, on modern composting, on an eco, uh, sorry, on, on mm. modern burial and eco uh, burials. And, and now people are trying to be composted and, and actually um, contract services where instead of like being put in a coffin or even just in a box that over time biodegrades, they're trying to make themselves into something that, that goes back to like a productive, uh, you know, like yeah. a farm um, yeah. or, you know, presumably a loved I mean, one's garden. Uh, yes or, okay. I was going to say yes or no. Sounds like a yes. Oh, totally. Okay. We, all, it, it, we all start as we're just dirt anyway 
right? Right. So yeah, I'm I'm good with that. I feel like that makes sense. It's just my <laughs> final investment. Well, I, you know? What I think about this sounds weird. So I like you know, there's the, the whole compost thing. But if you get <laughs> we're going dark. But if you get buried in the ground, what type of plant would you want to be grown on top of where you're buried? Mm. I mean, an onion. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> Melissa, keep up. Not, yeah, I don't. I don't need flowers, you know, or anything like that. I always thought of a peach I, I feel tree. Like I'm, peach this might tree. have changed. This might have changed a lot of my. What do you call it when you like tell people what you want your funeral to be like? This this might have changed my requests yeah. for my wife and children. If like, hey, don't put flowers on my grave. Just plant plant some onions. Well, I'm glad we're getting stuff done. That's why we do yeah. the podcast is to mess yeah. with people's uh, funerary plans. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm for. I need to be. Th- you never know, right? I need to be prepared. So you write it down. Um, I'm know, thinking tweet about it, it out. Now, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's like the well, list Zach, is can... what song do you play at your funeral, and what plant is on top of your body? So I can figure. What that plant out. do you become? Yeah. Or, or yeah. video at uh, my great uncle's funeral. They uh, they play. Price is right because you won the, the what is it called the like showcase or something. So we're at the funeral and just like Price is Right is playing over and over again of him winning the showcase. Sorry, wait the TMI. So I do have a question. What he he was on Price is Right and they played that at his funeral. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I'm into that. What movie is that? Where that's epic. Like somebody records some super funny lighthearted video to be played at their funeral and then everybody i don't remember that sounds familiar but yeah i can't, I can't think of it anyway, um i, I don't know well if I'm a on video that note <laughs> i think you know. i think melissa has to run so uh zach <laughs> how can folks reach you how, how should people find out more about fresh harvest and just to clarify um fresh harvest is something people should check out if they're in the atlanta mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. if they're not in the atlanta area they're gonna have to wait yeah or maybe seek out another like local CSA or food. For hub. sure. Um, yeah, yeah, search search that in your area because um, we are not there. But if you're if you're here in Georgia, not just Atlanta, kind of surrounding counties as well. Um, yeah, just freshharvest.com. That's where that's where we live online. Um, so yeah, and or you know, s- send me an email, Zach at freshharvest.com. Just Z A C. It's a little weird. Just Zach Z A C. That's how my little brother spells his his name. It's, Zach. I feel like so, it's cooler, yeah. you know. I'm glad yeah. my parents did that for me. Um, well, Zach, with with no C uh, with no K or H, just or C-A-C, H, yeah, uh, Thank you so much. Uh, it's really been fun talking to you. Um, yeah, learned a lot, and I'm really excited to uh, hopefully maybe even visit the Fresh Harvest Farm or something. I don't know, but um, good luck with everything you're yeah. doing, and yeah. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Come on, come on by if you're ever back down in this area. Fields is powered by Riverside. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.